0: Welcome to FSP Talks, brought to you by the Society of FSP and FSP Go. Hello, and welcome to FSP Talks, a new podcast series brought to you by the Society of FSP and FSPGo.com. I'm David Mayola, CEO of FSP, and I'll be your host. FSP Talks will bring together influential leaders in the financial services industry to discuss their careers, leadership, and business. Today's guest, Steve Parrish, is the co-director of the New York Life Center for Retirement Income at the American College of Financial Services, where he is also an adjunct professor of advanced planning. He is an adjunct professor as well of estate planning at Drake University School of Law. With 40 years' experience as an attorney and financial planner, Steve frequently addresses the challenges of individuals, business owners, and executives nationwide. Steve is an expert on retirement, estate, and business owner succession planning. He is a recognized industry authority, spokesperson, and author, serving as an ongoing columnist for both Forbes.com and the Journal of Financial Service Professionals. Steve, welcome to FSP Talks.
1: Thank you, David. Nice to be here.
0: All right, well, let's get started. Uh, I have some questions here that, that I'd like to to ask you and feel free to, uh, expound on those questions if you like, but, uh, let's just start with the general question, Steve, how, how do you spend, how's a normal, what is a normal day for you? How do you spend your day, uh, if there such a thing anymore?
1: Yeah, I was going to say, what's a normal day? Um, we talk about going back to the new normal, to me, we're just going back to the new, um, I suppose, you know, you've heard of the, the three R's, re- reading, writing, and arithmetic. Well, I, I have kind of a three R philosophy of how I spend my at least my work day. Um, I, I, I read a lot, and that's just because a lot of what I do is in uh, what's colloquially called thought leadership. But, you know, that kind of requires that you do some reading and thinking. And so I actually force that into my schedule because it's just too easy not to do that one. And then I guess what I would say is the next R is something that it's it's respond. I mean, just part of what we do these days is communicating, whether it's by emails or Zoom or phone calls or whatever, but responding, uh, being in the mix. And then the other R is report. What I really mean by that is uh, the concept that um, I do a lot of teaching for the American College. So we're teaching our RICP courses and that kind of thing. Uh, i write for the f s p journal i present uh this morning i did a two hour presentation to the omaha f s p group so it's kind of reporting back what i've learned through my through my reading so that's that's how a lot of the day is spent
0: you know it's interesting that uh you mentioned reading as number one and and so many people uh don't read as much as they used to. If if they can't get the information they need in three or four bullet points, they move on to the next thing. So I think that's still rather unique. And, of course, as you say, for the kinds of things that you do, you really have to read and you have to understand in order to be able to teach and present uh, what you need to to present.
1: Yeah, it's just the nature of the beast. and, And you're right, it's getting tough because if I'm reporting back what I've learned, It's not always something you can put in in bullets, but uh, at least I want to know that I know what I'm talking about before I start reporting back.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Let me ask you, Steve, what's most important uh, to your organization? Mission, Mission, core values, vision, what what do you find is, is,
1: is the most important thing? Well, it's interesting you use those three, mission, core value, and vision, because that's something at the American College especially with what's going on, just kind of in general, that all three of those are very um, top of mind with us. And frankly, to be effective, I'm going to tell you it's all three. If I could if I could kind of draw an analogy that I've thought of is it's kind of like travel because I love to travel and obviously haven't been able to do that much during the pandemic. But mission's kind of the, the map, you know, uh, getting you there. The, you, you put out a mission and says, here's the map for where we want to go. And vision is kind of the actual application of the map. I mean, you look out the rear view mirror to make sure everything, know what's behind you, but look out the windshield to figure out where you're going. But the core values are kind of the why. In other words, why are you going on this trip in the first place? So Mm -hmm. I don't mean to be cute about it, but I'm just saying, uh, really, you need all three of those if you're really going to use that kind of a, a process to know where you're going.
0: No, I think, I think you're right. One of the things that, that we talk about at FSP is making sure that we stay on mission because it's so easy uh, to get distracted uh, by something that may be important uh, but isn't really uh, the mission of the organization. And, and sometimes you have to steer the ship back to, okay, are we, are we doing what we're supposed to be doing? Are we, are, we, are we fulfilling our mission and not fulfilling someone else's mission? Right. Right. And uh, so, how? What about as, as you know, mission, core values, vision? Of course, are very are very uh, crucial to any organization. What about organizational culture, um, and and having people in an organization that fit a certain organizational culture? Is that something that uh, you have experience with, or that you you find important?
1: Well, I do because I have to admit, over the years, I've been a little dubious. Of all the work that sometimes goes on at the board level and senior management on getting to mission and vision and core values, because they kind of go through this big long process, decide what it is, call it accomplished, and move on and then do whatever they do. And the organization doesn't really know, so they don't come out. Maybe the board and senior management's inspired, but no one else knows what's going on. Um, recently I've seen a better use of that. Um, we're doing this at the college with the new president. And I, th- I think it's an idea worth mentioning, especially in light of what's going on where we are socially distant. And so we're doing all this um, via electronics is we have these meetings that are called all hands meeting as in all hands on deck. And what happens is um, the, the president senior leadership and then reports being done really go to and this is done every other week um to everybody on a Zoom meeting and what i really like is providing tangible examples so rather than saying you know uh, our mission is to bring education to the masses what's that mean is instead saying well this week we have somebody presenting on such and such a topic i think what that does is that way People who are actually doing this, I mean, you know, the day to day work of it, get re inspired every couple of weeks because somebody is saying, here's something that another department or you're working on, and here's how it fits in the mission. So I think that's a, a really good way to avoid institutionalizing. You can never totally avoid it, but I, I find that effective using the mission, using the vision, but using actual, tangible examples.
0: Yeah, you you've answered a question that I that I was going to ask later about how to, as your organization gets larger, you've already answered it. As, as the organization gets larger and larger, you know, how do you prevent uh you know your your best people from uh you know losing their inspiration? And I think you think you answered that. Um and I think you're absolutely right. Uh, <laughs> you know, we all we all make decisions every day in our Careers and our personal life, and you know, granular decisions at work to you know do X instead of Y, and you know, we like to think that we, we make the right decisions more than the wrong ones. <laughs> but is there a decision that you've made over your career that stands out as one that uh, maybe you wish you hadn't made and would have gone a different way?
1: Well, and I don't mean to be flippant about it, but in many ways, I'm. Everybody has their own personality. I'm not regrets oriented. And so I really and sometimes I drive my family crazy saying that they'll say, you know, now that you're not young, <laughs> what uh, what do you regret in life? And I really don't have regrets. I, I, I always get the same pat answers. I wish I'd studied more math when I was younger. Well, that's that's a pretty minor uh, one. But but in other words, I mean, we can learn from our mistakes. But, uh, you know, when you, when I get to ask that question, um I love my family, I love my career, uh, you know, so it's kind of, uh, I don't know, um, it's its hard to really look back and say, how would the tra- trajectory been different if I had done something else? No, that's a,
0: listen, that's a healthy, positive uh, outlook, right? I mean, I've heard some mm-hmm. people say, and I try to keep this in mind, you know, you can have two experiences, a positive experience and a learning experience. And that mm-hmm. kind of cuts the legs off of a negative experience, right, which is basically what you're saying. Uh, that even if it is a decision that, that maybe wasn't exactly what you expected, uh, you can take something from it, learn something, and move on and turn it into a positive. So that's probably a, a really uh, healthy outlook mm-hmm. to have. Um, what about this? What about in your business, Steve, of course, you're always talking about risk. Um, what's the most important risk that you've taken and why that particular risk was so important?
1: Yeah, that one, I, I think I really can answer better. And some people would say, well, gee, he gave up a corporate job to start his own financial service, you know, retail business. And yeah, that was a risk. But the one I think of is I was with a, um, I was a big fish in a smaller organization. And I really thought I want to kind of swim with the big fish, if I can take that metaphor to the extreme. And so I left a really good job where I was you know, getting paid well, and I was, um involved in some senior levels of management and went to a much larger organization, um, not at the same level. And I I always look back and and think that that was a smart move simply because um, that forced me to work harder, reach out more, take more risk because I wasn't the the big kahuna. And so I was rubbing shoulders with uh, some really rubbing fins, if I'm going to keep my metaphor going here, um, (laughs) with other people that really had succeeded. So I, I look back, this is about 20 years ago, and think that was, I was really pleased I made that move because it forced me to keep growing rather than just say, wow, I'm important with this organization, so I'm done.
0: No, that's a great point. I, I know that uh, I feel the same way about uh, promoting individuals within the organization. Sometimes uh, you have a really good employee, and uh you know they they do their job really well and you promote them maybe something that's a little bit beyond their reach right. and they usually really step up and they and they really grab a hold and do a great job and and so i think that that's important not just for yourself but but to help other people as a leader lift them up and give them opportunities that perhaps are a little bit of a stretch but uh, i think i've found anyway luckily that uh, most people do step up so that's that's interesting yeah, so, yeah. how do you, you know, we have again back to this uh, term, our, our new, our new normal, whatever that is. Yeah. Uh, with everything going on, um, how do you keep your team motivated uh, despite all the conflicts that are that occur in the in the workplace and obstacles, and, and maybe even go further and say, how do, can you still keep a handle on that in this new virtual world that we have?
1: Right, and I, I would almost look to you to see how we have all these chapters spread all over the country. You've been dealing with this issue for decades. Uh, for a lot of us, frankly, it is a little newer. But, you know, I had an experience last week where something just went totally wrong. And um, my I just remember having butterflies in my stomach and everything else. But one of the things I did was kept a fairly level voice and kept saying, "Well, we're going to work through this and let's do this." But frankly, most of it was being done by email, where they can't always read the tone of your voice. Um, mm-hmm. You just know not to use all caps. <laughs> but I just, <laughs> you know, kind of kept working at it, and people were saying, "Oh no, it was terrible." And and something that where I'm going with this that made my day is once we got it all kind of resolved. Someone wrote me that was uh, handling this. Uh, Thank you. You are the Zen master. You kept so calm and cool through all this. And I wanted to say, are you kidding? (laughs) I was stroking out. (laughs) But uh, there's a practical. What I'm getting at is I think one of the things in management or leadership, whatever you want to call it, when you have all these conflicts and obstacles, remember, uh, I'm I'm at a college, so you're getting with all the egos of faculty and everything. I really think something can be said for, I don't know if it's the Zen master, but for staying calm. Um, And you can do that even in your emails, how you phrase things and how, you, you know, don't use adjectives. You don't need to use, try to stick with the facts. So it's a new way of doing what we've been doing all along, but, I can reflect calmness in my voice. In my emails, I just have to be careful. I always read my emails a second time to see is there a way I can either make it simpler or less emotional, or maybe there is an adjective that will make them understand where I'm going. But I think it's the same kind of things, but instead of verbal, so much of it is in written form.
0: Yeah, and that can be – you're absolutely right. Uh, you do miss the nuance. You do miss the body language. You miss the tone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to be even more careful. You're absolutely right. That's a, that's a great point. Um, and, of course, you know, you're setting the tone, right? I mean, if, you, uh, right. if you're if you not calm in a crisis, the people around you aren't going to be calm. <laughs> people who count on you, right. to look to you aren't going to be calm either. So that's a big thing. What do you think uh, – You know, I'm not really talking about you as much, Steve, but uh, what is a mistake that you see other leaders uh, making frequently or more frequently than others
1: uh, in your experience? Well, and and we can talk about me in the sense that I fully admit this is a challenge I've had to deal with over the years as you look at um, trying to provide leadership so often um, people that are elevated to leadership positions are subject matter experts. They do a good job at what they do. And so what do subject matter experts want to do? They want to fix everything. And so uh, that is a tough one that I mean, to this day, I still have to challenge myself and say, are you trying to lead something? Or are you trying to fix something? So I, that's a mistake I commonly see because I'm working so often with other experts on things and the natural inclination is to fix it. And that's not necessarily what leadership's all about. You know, leadership is providing inspiration, getting the most out of the person uh, to, to inspire them to fix it, not for you to fix it for them.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I, I agree. And I've been leading nonprofit organizations now for close to 30 years and uh I liken it to an orchestra conductor. Uh, Mm. You know, you have to make sure that everybody in the orchestra is playing their part and doing their bit. You know, you as the conductor may not be an expert violinist, but you know how a violin should sound anyway, right? And, uh, you know, I always always say if I know more about HR than my HR person, uh, we're in trouble because the the HR person is the expert. And uh, so nice. I think you're right. It's because it's it's easy to kind of step in and try to fix something. You know, that's you're right. The people that have, you know, risen through the ranks that are in a leadership position, they've gotten there by doing a good job and fixing things. And that's kind of the uh, response, the immediate response. Well, I can fix this. Let me roll up my sleeves and, and get in there. Uh, but that's yeah. often not the the right thing to do. Um And Following up on that question, Steve, is is there a behavior or trait that you have seen that derails
1: uh, leaders' careers more than others? Absolutely, and I don't think I'm providing anything that we don't already know, but we have to remind ourselves three letters of ego. Um, Mm. I think what happens is you get in that position, especially if there's some successes that you should feel good about, um, you're often going to hear about it because sometimes – those that you're leading are either sincerely or disingenuously complimenting you. And at some point, you transition from realizing that you're the leader of the organization to thinking you are the organization itself. And once the ego kicks in, then you start making either poor decisions or not really involving. Um, your staff and your people and so I I think more than any one thing I don't think it's the bad decisions or anything like that I think it's it's the people who let their egos take over and then aren't listening and can cause problems simply because they think they are the organization rather than just helping lead the organization
0: that that's a great answer Um, you know sometimes I'll see leaders that have to dominate the room all the time whether they're in a board meeting or they're in just a director's meeting or a senior management meeting they have to be the focus and they have to be the one talking all the time and that's very often a mistake when there are other people that can contribute and uh, you as the leader can kind of shine the spotlight right and help the other people to step up and and do what they need to do so I, i think you're absolutely right about that um how about somebody who uh, is going into a leadership position for the first time, maybe stepping up from a line position to a middle manager or a middle manager to a senior manager? Um, what advice would you give somebody like that who is stepping into leadership for the first time?
1: Well, David, let let me parse it into two pe- pieces and see if, this, if you agree with this. Um, one thing I would say is we're all in leadership positions. I mean, in the sense that, we're hired by an organization to provide some kind of talent. So um, over the years, I've often, and just as an idea for what I like to do, I've often pushed to have less staff or no staff because my leadership's been more as thought leadership just because of what I do. So um, I'll take your question and say in some ways it's more oriented to people whose leadership involves management staff and that kind of thing now when you're new to that so where you're responsible for leading someone else um, then you treat it as part of learning I, I think um, that's what I did when I went from being having my own financial service agency to suddenly having a bunch of people reporting to me at a corporation um, and it wasn't easy because some of the stuff isn't interesting to me but I would read the books the articles. Uh, Talk to others. I think nowadays um, study groups have been acknowledged as a great way to do it. So you treat, if you're new to this, if you're new to managing and that kind of thing, you treat that just like anything else you did um, that got you to being a subject matter expert. But now the subject is things like management. And you just just treat that as part of your job. Much like I said at the beginning, I treat reading as part of my job.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and given what you've said about your reading and so forth, I I can probably predict your answer to this next question. But uh, are there things that you do to ensure that that you continue to develop and grow as a leader?
1: Well, I mean, yeah, the things we talked about. But I think part of it um, is involving others and, uh, you know, learning from them. And I mean that very well. And I'm going to give you a specific because I was on the board the national board of um, fsp several years ago and you get to kind of make your closing remarks uh when you go off board and one of the things i said to him and i meant it in the most sincere way is i was being paid by my company to in theory be the smartest person in the room and i don't mean that with ego i just mean they would send me out and i'd go into let's say an fsp meeting and tell them all the smart things I did. So this morning, I talked for two hours and other people didn't talk. But one of the things I, I learned uh, from my involvement with the FSP meeting was don't believe that I am the smartest person, you know, really listen and, and absorb from the others. And I think that really is something because as you get into leadership situations, so many people are looking for the smart you have. but to keep yourself fresh and learn and not let ego eat you up and all that. One of the things you can apply is to treat yourself not as the smartest person in the room and listen and hear what they have. And I mean, there are physical ways you can do this nowadays in this environment. Um, If you're putting on a meeting, Zoom is pretty good at doing polling. And so polling is kind of a way of saying, what do you think about this issue or using a chat function so that it's not just uh directed one way so that that's something i'm really and it's a struggle but i'm really try to work into the process is ways i can get feedback rather than just provide my feedback to them
0: yeah i i couldn't agree with you more i mean there's there is uh you know i always feel like i can learn something from almost everybody i mean there's there's always a nugget that you can take from regardless of the level that somebody might be in an organization uh, you can't take the position that you, you can't learn from somebody or, or somebody else's experience because there's always something that you can take away. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, Steve, you you and I both have been in our careers for a long time, but uh, mm-hmm. if, if you were given an opportunity to change careers, would you? Or are you really happy in, uh, with what you're doing and, and uh, would stay exactly with, with, with what you have?
1: Well, I'd answer that question to say I did, (laughs) meaning um, it was uh, I've been involved with financial services more at the um, corporate level and doing it myself. And as I got older and realized I can't do this forever, I basically said, I'd like to kind of pass on some of the things I've learned and went into more of the, well, it's called the academic side, but at the American College, we like to call it the pracademic side, meaning, you know, practical academics and 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 i'm saying this for others to think about is in some ways i did in other words um if you think it's time to change careers not because you're unhappy or anything else because but just because maybe it's time then my would advice is do it <laughs> i i'm very happy i did because i only really went into academics uh, about 5 years ago mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I did. I, similarly, I, I made a career change from practicing law into the uh, nonprofit world as well. It was a long time ago, but uh, yeah, I, I can understand. Is there yeah. a, what's a what's a job that you really wouldn't want? Is there a job you can think of that might be the worst job you could imagine?
1: <laughs> well, not. I'm I'm like you. I'm pleased with what I've done, but. I would say just in general is don't do a job you don't believe in just because it had you know a better 401k or paid more (laughs) and i have a very tangible example um my brother is an attorney as well he um got a job that he kind of needed um uh, working for a tobacco company i'll just put it bluntly and he did a good job and it led him to more and more promotions and he uh, retired as a executive vice president uh, but I will tell you, because he would tell you, um, he didn't believe in uh, in the particular product they were selling and uh, our mother died of you know lung cancer and those kind of things. And so I, I only give that rather stark example because don't do a job that you don't believe in. Uh, I don't care what it pays. Um, yeah. And I think he'd say the same thing. They treated him well. He has friends from his career and all that, but he really never believed in the product.
0: And that makes it, you know, just a tick harder, right, to get up in the morning and, and go to your job if you don't right. believe in it. So that's that's good advice. Um, yeah, you get to run question, FSP, Steve.
1: so you get good stuff.
0: <laughs> I have good st- I have no complaints at all. I've got uh, great staff and a great mission and uh, people like you to talk to,
1: so I <laughs> have no problem <laughs> at
0: all. Um, one final question, and we'll wrap it up, Steve. What What's the uh, best book that you've read this year?
1: Yeah, the, the best book – I read, and I understand it's a New York Times bestseller on the business side. Um, Stephanie Kelton, she is a Ph.D. in this whole um, MMT economics movement. She wrote a book called The Deficit Myth, and I only mention it because uh, I'm not an economist. And um, I could read this, and I like things that challenge me because she kind of has this theory, as do the MMT economists, that say, look – Deficits aren't really that big an issue if you are a a company, a a country that essentially prints its own currency. And even though I read it and at the end said I'm still not convinced, I thought, wow, I came out stronger because it wasn't just a book I read that reaffirmed what I believe. It really challenged my head. And i got to admit, maybe it didn't change me, but it did expand my thinking. So The Deficit Myth by uh, Dr. Stephanie Kelton. And that's
0: a great perspective to have in, in our polarized times, right, is to uh, right. hear and read about something that's uh, maybe not what you believe and, and uh, makes you think a little bit. So that's that's uh, an interesting, interesting comment. Well, Steve, I yeah. want to thank you very much for being with us on FSP Talks. It's been a pleasure uh, to have you, and uh, I thank you for your insights today.
1: It's been my pleasure. Keep up the good work at FSP, David. Thank you very much.
0: FSP Talks was brought to you by the Society of FSP and FSP Go.